Well, good morning, everybody. I know that we are uh, all excited to be able to connect with one another, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and start heading back to your seats as we get ready for uh, our third week in our Advent series called Turn Off the Dark, the idea that we live in a dark world. Uh, there's a lot of darkness of fear and of, of shame and of despair and loneliness and, and of, uh, of guilt. And so we're spending this Advent season talking about some of the ways in which Jesus, who is the light of the world, came into a dark world. And instead of turning on the light, because he already is the light of the world, he came into a dark place and turned off the darkness around him. And so as we take a few moments to, to kind of get ready for our service today, our sermon today, if you want to revisit where we've been on the back of your, your bulletin notes, you'll see the main points from the past two weeks. But this week we're focusing on guilt and joy. And what better way to start uh, a sermon about guilt about looking at uh, weights and thinking about working out. And so um, for me, like this is something where uh, when, years ago when I started, um, I, before I did Weight Watchers, I had done uh, the 21 Day Fix, which is like a beach body diet. And it was like, they give you Tupperware that would make a doll feel sad and then told you to only eat like a few of those each day. And so it was, it was rough. And I remember the moment it was the breaking point for me when I realized this isn't real life, like I can't do this all the time is when um, at my old church, we were um, at Azusa Pacific University for our Easter event, um, and they were giving out, you know, Chick-fil-A for everybody, uh, and, you know, as part of the staff, I got to have Chick-fil-A, and I was like, no matter how I try to fit this Chick-fil-A into a Tupperware, it's not going to fit in a Tupperware, so... Toss the Tupperware, and now I use it for storage. And so, um, but we look at, in addition to the food little Tupperware, there was also, you know, workout videos. And you watch these videos, and uh, it was like for 21 days, uh, for about 25, 30 minutes each day, there are different, uh, you know, body muscle groups that they would work on. And I remember just, my first thought was like, you know, we got some weights, we got the, like the resistance band, we got this stuff. And at my first, I was like, this is going to be really easy. And so um, I apparently have woefully uh, inadequate at estimating how difficult things are uh, when it comes to weights. And so I started high and then that had to go down low very quickly. But when it comes to our health, right, like we want to eat well and then we want to like, if you want to do weightlifting, what the, the hope is that you start to develop enough muscle that you are able to add weight onto the, you know, the, the various um, exercises so that you're getting stronger, that more weight equals strength. Uh, but we're talking about an area in which that that's very much the opposite today, that we might think that if we hold on to the weight of our guilt and the weight of our pain, that, that maybe that shows everyone that we are strong, that we are able to hold on to these things, when in reality, acknowledging the weight of our lives, our hope is that instead of adding more weight and increasing our weight to, quote, make us feel stronger, instead, we learn what it looks like to get rid of some of this extra weight that's our guilt and our pain and our struggles. What does it look like to get rid of those things? Because we have a God, Jesus Christ, who comes and says that, you know, come to me if you are heavily weighted down. Come to me if you are weary and you're burdened. Because I will give you rest, and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if we are walking around burdened heavily, then perhaps we are missing the joy of what it means to have a relationship with God and all of that, all of that, that entails. So as we look here, 
I want to start sharing um, the first story that we're going to kind of be bookended with stories from literature today. And so the first one is Sea Spot Run. I'm just kidding. That's dumb. Um, the first one that we're going to talk about is uh, from Edgar Allan Poe called The Telltale Heart. Does anyone remember The Telltale Heart? Awesome. So if you're not aware of it, uh, what The Telltale Heart is a short story in which Edgar Allan Poe writes the story through the perspective of a narrator who ends up you know, kind of sharing the story of how this person ends up murdering someone and how they got caught. And so what ends up happening is that they tell the story about how they wanted to, you know, they, were, they had this, this man who was either taken care of, maybe some people think it's a father, maybe just a, an uncle, a caregiver, someone who's being care, given care, excuse me. And in that story, the narrator starts to just get kind of kind of slowly descends into madness and talks about how the, the, the man, the older man in the story has, uh, they call it like a vulture eye and he feels like he's always watching the narrator and that starts to drive the narrator mad. And so each night after a while he decides, I'm, I'm, I'm going to murder this old man. And so they, he opens the door slowly and he sees the old man, but as long as the old man is, has his eyes closed and specifically that vulture eye, when he's closed, the, the narrator's like, I can't murder him until, you know, until I see the eye. That's what drives me into this rage. And so on one of the nights, he ends up going in really slowly. But it, the man's eye pops up, um, pops up, gross. Uh, he opens his eyes, and then the man, you know, the, the, the narrator murders him. And then he thinks, I'm so wise. You would think how smart I am that I'm going to bury the body under the floorboards, and no one will ever know. And so the old man screams, and he's murdered, and then he hides it under the floorboards. And then we start to see how the police come because they heard someone had notified them of the shrieking. And the man's like, no, that was, that was just me. I had a bad dream. And, and so, uh, you know, please come in and, and you could look. And he's proud and being prideful of just walking around and there's no fear I'm going to get caught. And so he eventually he even has the gall to go into the very room where the murder took place. And he goes and he, he asks them to take a seat and they're all sitting. And then he puts his chair right over the spot where the body had been buried. And so he's having this conversation. But all of a sudden, if you know the story of the telltale heart, he starts to hear the heart beating, ba-boom, ba-boom. And he looks around and he thinks, no, it must be my imagination, ba-boom, ba-boom. And he starts to look and he thinks, surely the police officers can hear this now. And ba-boom, ba-boom, and it gets louder, and ba-boom, ba-boom, and it gets louder and louder. And all of a sudden, the weight of what he had done and the telltale heart that was telling the story, the tale of the murder, was so loud and so clear within his own conscience, within the guilt within him, that all of a sudden he just confesses to everything. He shows in the body, and he's in jail, and that's where we hear the narration of the story. And it points us to the fact that when it comes to the weight of our guilt, that it can feel like when we are experiencing true guilt and when we are weighted down by, it can feel like there is nothing more powerful than the power of weight of our guilt to weigh us down. And it can feel like there's just no escape from it. But what we're going to talk about today, looking at the story of the Christmas story through Mary's perspective and through Joseph's version or Joseph. Uh, idea of Mary, but Mary's our central character today to be able to look at what it was like when maybe some people perceive us of guilty because there are times in which, you know, we have these different weights and we have our own struggles and we know what those are. And so, you know, there's a time when we know, I remember that thing that I did when I was younger that still 
haunts me and hurts me to know that I hurt a loved one that way. Or, you know, I still have this, this fact that I know I'm still doing that sin that I told myself, I told the Lord, I told my loved ones I'd stop doing. And, and so, but I'm still doing it. And so then I kind of put in these weights into this backpack here. And then what, what do we do? Do we just keep the, the weight that we've been carrying and we just keep it with us? No, what often happens is we end up just putting it on our shoulders and we just go about our time, do about our life, go about whatever's in front of us. And so as we look into our sermon this morning, we're going to talk about this idea that it might feel like the weight of our guilt is too powerful. But our main point today is that if there's something more powerful than the weight of our guilt, which there is, it is the joy of God's grace. If there is a weight that is more powerful, or sorry, if there is something more powerful than the weight of our guilt, it is the joy of God's grace. As you are filling that out, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. And I know that each person that is walking into this room or is sitting down or is listening online later, Lord, that every one of us comes in or is listening now with some weight that when we hear guilt, we hear weight, we hear shame, it takes us to something immediately. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, Lord, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, and that we would leave this place, maybe entered in, heavily laden and burdened and weighed down. But God, may we leave this place free from that and in the joy of the power of the incarnation of Jesus and the gospel that he died for us and for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look into, uh, we're going to be in a, a couple different passages of scripture today. The first one is going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And as we're looking at three dynamics, we have three scriptures and three dynamics between guilt and joy. And so the first one is this idea that sometimes people think we're guilty of something that we haven't done. That there are times we might be falsely accused of something at work or with a classmate. That there might be a friend who breaks off a relationship because he or she thinks we did something that we really didn't do. And yet, just the accusation of guilt can be enough to weigh us down and to throw off our lives. And so, we're going to start here because... We're going to hear the story from Joseph's perspective of what it was like when he found out, when he heard Mary saying that she was pregnant. What was it that he experienced? Verse 18 of Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had to mind, or sorry, he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. Now, again, Joseph is a man who is devout and who is faithful to the law, faithful to God's word. And be out of that faithfulness that he knows he, he, he can't be in relationship with someone that, has, that had had this, this um, indiscretion, that he's like, she must be guilty because... The idea that the Holy Spirit would overcome her and that would, would, she would be um, pregnant with a child while still a virgin was just something where, of course, there's no reason for him to believe that. So he just thinks, okay, she lied. She you know, was off with somebody else. I'll, I know according to the word that I can't marry her, but I don't want to subject her to public disgrace, nor do I want to subject her to 
you know, potentially being stoned and killed for adultery because we saw in John chapter 8 the story of what happens when people are, when a woman was caught into adultery and that the, the Jewish leaders wanted to come and wanted to stone her and kill her. And so he's faithful to God's word and he's faithful to God's law, so he, he wants to divorce her but not subject her to that. And we know, 2,000 years later, we know that Mary is innocent. She, he thought she was guilty of something that she had not done. And so we know that she's innocent, and yet as her belly is going to be growing over these nine months, so too will the guilt that would grow and the judging that would grow from those around her. So she's coming into this, and she knows what the angel said, and she's faithful to what the angel had said to her. But Joseph didn't know all of that had happened yet. He needed to be able to hear something that would show, no, no, no. This really is what happened. This really is what's going on. And so we see that there are times when we are perceived to be guilty of something. Sometimes we are guilty, and we'll talk about that later, but other times we're not. And yet we could still be perceived that way, and that can still add weight to our lives. We're, just as one example, that many of us, as we're trying to be faithful to, to God's word and faithful to God's, uh, what he says, that we could be accused of bigotry because we don't, agree or, or, or say that God's plan for certain things, including marriage, is something that is different than what the world is saying. And so we might be accused of bigotry when, like Joseph, we're just trying to be faithful to God's word. And, and like Mary, we're trying to be faithful to what God is calling us to. And so even though we know that we're not guilty of certain things, there are still times in which that weight of being accused, that weight of being burdened, that weight is still something that we drop into the backpack and we put upon our shoulders in, in thoughts of, okay, well, that's just something I'm going to have to bear. That's something we're going to have to go through. And we just, again, put the backpack back on and walk through life with this weight. Now, in these times of being accused of being, something, of being guilty of something we haven't, in these times, we may experience the joy Moving from guilt to joy, the joy of faithfulness. That Joseph was faithful to, what God, to God's word and wanted to follow out. Mary was faithful to what God had called her to do. Together, they were faithful to one another. And when Mary was faithful and Joseph was faithful, let's see how God was faithful to their calling, to her life, in the next few verses, verse 20 through 25. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the, him the name Jesus. That Mary experienced the faithfulness of God. The whole idea that if we deny God, that he will deny us, but if we remain faithful, he is faithful to us. And so we, in our opportunity to be faithful to what he's called us to, even if we're being attacked, even if we're being torn down, 
even if we have this guilt that is still in our backpack, still in our lives, still on our shoulders, but is not necessarily ours to bear, when we still experience that, we can see how God faithfully provides and faithfully shows up to protect his child, Mary, who is going to bear his only begotten son, Jesus, that there's a faithfulness there that we might experience when we're accused of something, but we trust in God to stand up for us. That the, the book of Psalms has these Psalms where David talks about crying out against his enemies and, and I'm innocent and yet here am I experiencing it. So it's a, being falsely accused is the cry of the hearts of many people that, um, that we see throughout scripture. And maybe for some of us, it's something where something has happened to us and someone assigned blame because of something that, you know, it was our fault something happened. And that can be a weight that is incredibly difficult to bear. But again, that is not a weight that we are called to hold fast to and hold on to. And so maybe we put it in our backpacks, maybe we hold on to our lives, but we want to move from this guilt, this perceived guilt that Mary experienced and move to the received joy that she proclaimed and praised God with later in the story. So sometimes people think we are guilty of something that we haven't done and we can experience the joy of faithfulness. Number two is that sometimes we do. We just have to, we must just acknowledge the guilt that we are guilty of things that we have done. Like in this case, Mary had not done anything wrong, but like us, Mary, you, me, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all are in need of a savior that because of that, we must just be face-to-face -face with our sins sometimes and recognize that we just have to admit, we have to acknowledge where it is that we fall short, where it is that we sin, where it is that we have done wrong in the sight of God. Because in order for us to experience the joy of true forgiveness and true life with God, we must acknowledge that we are in need of that forgiveness and we must acknowledge the brokenness in our own lives. We can't be the receiver of a gift if we don't acknowledge that we need it. And so in order for us to receive that, we have to say, God, I know I fall short. I know I've made mistakes. And let's read. We read it earlier during the Advent reading, but I'd like us to revisit Psalm 51. Now, again, this is not connected to Mary's story, but this is our story. The story of when we need to just acknowledge our sin and our own guilt and what happens when we do. So Psalm 51, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to start off. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You know, some of us, we try to hide our sin. Even the ones that we know are wrong. We try to hide them and pretend that they don't exist. For us to truly know the depth and the depravity of our sin is when we would just recognize my, our sin is always around us but yet we do not need to be defined by it. Verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He is right to acknowledge us as guilty because we are. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So, the context of this story of Psalm 51 is that David had just been approached by the prophet Nathaniel in 2 Samuel who 
called David out on his sin and adultery and murder when it came to this interaction with Bathsheba. That if you know the story, David had to go face to face and just acknowledge, yes, I was idle in a time of war. I should have been out with the troops, but I was idle. My eyes were wandering. Yes, I lusted over someone and I I would say I invited her into the bedroom, but she wasn't invited. When the king asked you to go, you went. And so this was much stronger than that. And so, yes, I, I lusted. Yes, I, I had her come into my bedchamber. And then, yes, face to face, when she conceived, I, I brought her, her husband here so that it could look like he was the one that had the, the relationship with her. And then when that didn't work out, I had her husband killed. There's no other way to go about this. There's no other way for David to say it was someone else's fault. Someone else did it. It's not my bad. It's someone else. The blame game can, know to end, can go nowhere else but right at David's heart. And so he just says, I've seen, I know my sin, and you are right in your verdict, God. Please blot it out, but surely you desired faithfulness, and I haven't been faithful. And so when we have those times when we put in and recognize the weight of the things that we've done we start to add just another weight into the backpack and we start to put another burden upon our own shoulders and then we walk around still with this weight every day and it starts to get to the point where then we wonder how many people can see my weight? How many people can see what's going on? And the weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier. But in these times when we are face to face with our own depravity, face to face with our own, the depth and the breadth of our sin, this, this is when we experience the joy of forgiveness. What forgiveness fully and wholly means, not just, I'm sorry, I forgive you, that's it. It's the depth, and as deep and as wide as our sin is, is God's forgiveness is deeper and wider still. And so we read verses 7 through 12 of Psalm 51. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear what? joy. Let me hear joy in the midst of this guilt. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Again, we can't receive a gift until we know we need it. And when we are face-to-face -face with the depth of our sin, then and only then are we face, set face-to-face -face with the depth of God's grace. That when we say a debt is forgiven, when we use the word debt is forgiven, what does that mean? That means that debt has been paid for, right? Well, so, uh, in the, this Advent devotion I'm going through called God is in the Manger with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this, he says, as the one, he's talking about Jesus, as the one who acts responsibly in the historical existence of humankind, as the human being who has entered reality, let's just take a pause. That's really wordy. What does that mean? That's talking about the fact that he alone knows the full existence of humankind. He alone knows the full depravity of, human, of people because he was fully man, but also the depravity of people because he's fully God. He has an understanding that none of us can fully grasp of how deep and how wide our sin is and how deep and our wide God's love is for us. 
And he alone entered into reality sinless. And so even with that sinlessness, what does it say? It says Jesus, with all that, becomes guilty. But because his historical existence, that he was a real person who really lived, who really did these things, because of that, his incarnation, which we celebrate during Christmas, that he was incarnate, which is in flesh, that God became flesh through Jesus Christ, that because of that, his incarnation has its sole basis in God's love for human beings. It is the love of God that makes Jesus become guilty. Out of selfless love for human beings, Jesus leaves his state as the one without sin, and he enters into the guilt of human beings. He takes it upon himself. That it's different when someone is, you know, if, if you have a child who got sick, we had, recently we went on an um, airplane flight, and uh, we made it all the way to the airport, where, like San Diego, and we were taxiing, but it was just kind of, it was warm and people were getting up and right as we we're about to get off, she gets sick. And I have like the, the bag ready, right? Like it's, it's ready, but like sometimes it's just hard to like assess the trajectory of things. And so I just, I just kind of missed it. And so, yeah, yeah. And so it's just one of those where it gets all over and like you feel really bad. And here's the thing, we clean her up and we try to get her out and, and, I'm walking through the airport knowing full well how great I smell in this moment. And, and does that matter to me? No, because I love my girl and I don't want her to feel bad, right? But there's a difference between someone from afar, so maybe someone who has to clean that up later on, and they're cleaning it up, and that's great. That, that's needed. And that, I'm sure the person who sits in you know, seat 21A was really grateful. But there's a different level when you're the one that's just as messy cleaning it up as well, right? There's a different level that Jesus is showing that he became that guilt or he received all of our guilt. Every sin that you have done, past, present, future, every sin that I'm doing, have done, will do, past, present, future, multiply that by every person who's ever lived. And he took that guilt upon himself for we are all guilty and all fall short of the glory of God. We all need the grace of Jesus Christ and his perfect life and horrible death to be raised to new life when we trust in him and confess that he is Lord and believe that in our hearts. We need to fully grasp that forgiveness so that we could fully grasp the life that we have in him and the joy that comes when our slate has been wiped clean, when our transgressions have been blotted out, and when our mess has been cleaned up by one who took upon the mess himself. I read a story recently, I heard a story rather recently about a police officer who was in Montana that uh, pulled over someone that was speeding and going too fast. And so um, they write, you know, get all the typical, you know, good evening officer and license registration and starts Filling out, like, do you know why you're pulled over? Yes, I was speeding. And, and the guy who was driving, just know, the driver just knows, like, I did this. Finances are tight. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. And so um, the officer writes out the ticket, gives him back his license and registration, and, and goes about the rest of his day. And again, the driver is just, you know, discouraged and, you know, knows he messed up. It looks at it and he opens it up. And sure enough, there it is, ticket for $100 that was the, the fine for the, the, what, what, the violation, what he had done. And then right behind the ticket was a $100 bill that the officer had paid so that that debt would be forgiven. That we could be moved, we are moved, by displays of forgiveness like that. But compared to the sin in my life and in your life, 
$100 by a police officer, it's nothing. And yet Jesus took that. He became guilty. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And if we don't understand the depth of our sin, we won't understand the depth of his love and his joy and his grace. So then, in those times, we can experience that forgiveness. And what does that mean for us realistic? That means like, listen, I've got all this stuff in my backpack and I've got all these weights. And what that means is that I can just drop it, right? I've been forgiven. I don't need to hold on to that anymore. There's freedom now. There's forgiveness now. And that's no longer who I am, that I can be someone who has sinned, but I'm no longer identified as a sinner. That what is, what is guilt defined at? Guilt is defined as I've done something wrong. It's an action base. It's something that we've done that is sinful. Contrast guilt with shame. And what is shame? Shame is not that I've done something wrong, but that I am something wrong. It is no longer about an action. It then becomes about an identity. And if we've allowed our sin to become overwhelming us, to shame us, to the point in which now we're, we will never allow ourselves to be recipients of God's grace because somehow we believe that the power of and the weight of our guilt is too big for Jesus' shoulders to bear on the cross. And it's not that everything we have, even those sins that you confess in small groups because it's easy to confess those, and even those sins that you don't because you know that people would look at you differently, all of those things, past, present, future, have been forgiven when we confess and we trust in Jesus and we ask for forgiveness. That he conf- We confess our sins to him. We go face to face with him and say, I've sinned, I've fallen short. If we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to blot out those transgressions, to cleanse us with hyssop and to make us brand new. And so then that's the end of the story, right? We're good. Except if we're honest about what guilt looks like in our lives, that isn't always the end of our story. Because sometimes... In our notes, sometimes we must let go of the guilt that we have for things we've done. That we know in our minds that they've been forgiven because we read God's word and we trust it and we believe it when he says he's forgiven us. But what have we said multiple times here that sometimes the greatest distance any of us will ever have to travel is the 12 inches between what we know in our heads and what we know and experience in our hearts and in our souls. And so what ends up happening is, is that we think to ourselves that there are things that we've done. And, and if people knew what they've done and what we've done, that they would never love us, never receive us. If God does know, and so therefore there's no way that we could ever be truly loved or truly received. And so it's like if we took this elastic band and we interlocked it with this backpack that has all of our weight inside of it. And then we were to just clip that to as I'm clipping it to my, my jeans here, it's like we just walk around with this sin. And we go about our day, we've been forgiven, and so we're just kind of, you know, we're not wearing it anymore, but we're still dragging it with us, and it's pulling us back. And we start to think that, you know, this is just what my life's going to be. I'm always just going to be taking these things with me and following along with this guilt and this pain and this heartache and this shame. But Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to bear this anymore. That he didn't just come to just say, I forgive you, and that's it. He came to pay that debt off. 
He came to make sure that when we saw the ticket that showed all of our sins and he just wrote down and he just gives us and says, paid, debt forgiven, and everything has been healed. And when we receive that, we experience this great joy. Now, if we see this idea that sometimes we have to let go of this guilt, and in those times, we can experience not just faithfulness, not just forgiveness, but also the joy of freedom. That we start to read Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, and we start to see the freedom with which she confesses her faith, the freedom in which she professes her joy, and the freedom in which she knows that this is that the story of what people think around her isn't her story and the freedom that gives. Luke 1, starting in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That when it comes out of guilt, what does she experience instead? She experiences great joy. That she recognizes that she still needs a Savior, because again, like us, she too had sinned and fell short of the glory of God. She needed a Savior, just as we do. But she's able to glorify God because, again, the same language we used last week, that Jesus is Lord and a Savior. That's how she confesses who Jesus is and how she knows that the one inside her belly is the one that the Lord had promised to be Emmanuel. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, talking about herself. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, in her own generation, she'll be mocked. For others around her, she's going to be labeled guilty, unnecessarily so. But she's free to know that the opinions of the people around her and her current situation is not relative to what her future promise from God is. That no matter what guilt we are experiencing now, that does not have to be the end of our story. That we can experience freedom when we experience what it looks like to know who God is and what he's done for us. So let's go into that. For the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their innermost parts or innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors, that she experiences freedom knowing that the same God who has done those things is the same God who is with me now. That same God who's with me now is the one that has showed faithfulness to tell Joseph that to marry Mary. He's the same God that has shown forgiveness. And he's the same God that will allow her and allow us to experience freedom. That Sally Clarkson says this way, somewhere along the way, I decided to put the load of guilt from all the ways I had failed into the file drawers of heaven and mark forgiven over them. So now when voices accuse me of once more blowing it, I just pray and God gives, or I pray, excuse me, and again give my state of guilt to Jesus, seeking to stay alive in the freedom that he has provided. That some of us have 
ask for forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. And yet whenever we, we could say, oh, it's forgiven. But whenever we fall back, whenever we still struggle, whenever we have that same temptation or that same circumstance, that, that guilt becomes shame thinking that's just who we are. But instead, we're able to let go of the guilt and say that, God, please take this from me. I know I've fallen short. I know you've forgiven me, forgiven me. And may you set me free from this. May the chains be broken. May lives be healed. May eyes be opened when Christ is revealed. That we have been set free for freedom's sake. That is for freedom that we have been set free. That Jesus, when he's proclaiming what Isaiah 61 said the Messiah would do, and Jesus is proclaiming this in Luke when he says, here's who I am. He talks about how he's going to make sure that the, the blind will see and, and those who can't speak will be given speech and the deaf will hear and the captives will be set free. Maybe some of us see and we hear and, and we're fine in that way, but we're still stuck and being captives. And when we think about joy, we often think about, man, if you were set free when there's a sin for which you were held captive, that then that must be so heavy. Like you must be so elated. But sometimes joy, if we're honest, we think of joy maybe as great elation, as just being very excited about things. But sometimes the deeper the guilt goes, sometimes the harder it is for our words to find, or for us to find the right words to express our joy. So we started with Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, and we're gonna close with a, a three-minute video clip of this picture of this of the story of someone who was guilty, who was shown grace. And because he was shown grace, he was set free to live a brand new life. So if you'll turn your attention as we watch a scene from Les Miserables with Victor, by Victor Hugo, let's watch the video together. Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? 
course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Sometimes, when we are face to face with our guilt, as Jean Valjean was in that moment, and, and he knew that justice would dictate that he would get what he deserves and be thrown back into prison. Mercy would dictate that he wouldn't get what he deserved, that he'd be released. But grace, grace dictates that he gets what he doesn't deserve. That in addition to the silver that he had already stolen, that the bishop gives Two more candlesticks that are very, um, very expensive and are worth a lot. And he gives it to him. And, and so Jean Valjean is face to face with his guilt, recognizing he's caught red handed. There's no way for him to get out. He's, he's face to face with it. But because of the faithfulness of the priest, or the bishop rather, and because the bishop had forgiven him, that now Jean Valjean was set free. Free to become a brand new man. Free to let that guilt and that shame go fall by the wayside. Shame to, or the, the freedom to say that that hooded man who was a, a criminal was now completely changed. And that he has a new life, a new face, a new joy. And that sometimes that joy isn't about pure elation. Sometimes that joy is so deep that the words only come out, why are you doing this? when we see the depravity and the depth and the breadth of our sin, and we see that we have guilt beyond all understanding, and, and we look at God, and he says, I have come to send, I've sent Jesus to be incarnate into your world, to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, but to be raised to new life so that you can have eternal life. We look at our guilt, and we look at our shame, and we say, why are you doing this? And then we recognize that it's because we've been set free. We are no longer called to live this life any longer. But that we are able to be set free to live lives as co-heirs with Christ and sons and daughters of the Most High King. Amen. And when we live that out, 
We are no longer defined by guilt and the weight that it has on us. We can be defined and known by the joy of God's grace. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would be stirring in hearts right now, Lord, that as we think about things like guilt and we think about things like shame and heartache and sins and struggles and the weights that we carry around, Lord, it would be so easy for us to either A, hear a sermon, say that's nice and leave. B, think that, oh, we heard a sermon, that's nice for somebody else and still keep the sin attached to us as we drag it around or the guilt and drag it around. Or see that we would lay down our guilt at your, the foot of your cross, Lord Jesus. And recognizing that because of what you've done, our identity is not in what we've done. Our identity is in who you are and in whose we are. So Lord, I pray that lives will be changed by the power of the gospel. That our guilt would be left aside. And like Mary, we would rejoice that you are our God and that you are our Savior. We love you, Lord, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.